0: Let me set the context for today's message. We're in the middle of a series, literally in the middle, because it's a six-week series. This is the third week, called Spiritual Disciplines. And when we think of discipline, it probably might not be appealing at first. Um, Maybe if you've ever been an athlete, you understand that discipline leads to uh, something good. Uh, Back when I was 49 years old, about 15 years ago, I decided that I needed to do a little physical discipline myself. I decided I was going to run a marathon. So I went outside and I took a run, and I could run an eighth of a mile. That is one half of a lap around a track. And a marathon, in case you don't know, is 26 miles, 385 yards. So I had a little training to do. The fact of the matter is, I called up somebody that I knew who was in good shape, and I knew he was a runner, and I said, hey, I want to run a marathon. What do I have to do? And he said, train for 20 weeks. I said, 20 weeks? Really? He said, yes. So I trained for 20 weeks, and in May of whatever year it was, uh, whatever, 49, however, 14 years ago, I ran the Cleveland Marathon, and I ran every step of that marathon. I did stop at mile six to take off my shoe and see how big the blister was on my foot. It was pretty big, but I got back to the running, and I ran all 26 miles, 385 yards. Now, I share that with you because... It was not fun to train for the marathon, and every day was not fun, um, I have to say. But every weekend, you would run, like I ran, you know, eventually four miles, and then the next weekend, six miles. The next weekend, when I got to eight miles, I said, I never ran this far before. And then the next weekend, I ran 10 miles. I said, I never ran this far before. And then the next weekend, I ran 12 miles. And you can sort of do the math. But every weekend, I was able to say, I never ran this far before. And in spiritual disciplines, it's like that. We're going to talk about something today, and you might say, I never did that before. And that's okay. But if you never did it before, you probably don't want to fast for 40 days like Jesus did whenever he went out into the wilderness after getting baptized. But you might start with something else. But I, I want to say uh, on January 26th, which was just a few days after we did our All Things New 21 days of prayer and fasting, I received an email from Pastor Dwayne Goodling of Think Missions. And he asked me if I would do a five-day fast for India on March 7th to the 11th. So that was this past week. And the reason we were going to do a fast this past week is because if we were able to, we would have actually been in India this past week. But we couldn't be in India, so he said, let's fast and pray. And I said, sure. So I signed up for it back in January on the 26th. Then two weeks later, uh, on February the 9th, Pastor Alex and I were at uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball game out in Cleveland, Ohio, and I got a text message from Eric Smith of Smith Media Group. And he said to me, how would you like to preach in Pakistan on March the 10th? I was like, yeah, I would like to do that. And so then a little while later, he texted me again. He said, how would you like to preach on the King Television Network on March the 11th And you'll reach 182 nations, including nations like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, India. And I went, wow. Two weeks before I even knew the opportunity was going to exist, well, actually, uh, I I, I really never thought I was ever going to preach in front of 5 to 10 million people. I was told I had the opportunity to fast for five days. Now, you might see that as a coincidence. I don't see it as a coincidence at all. What I see it is God operating through his people as he always does when we put ourselves in the position to be used by him. So fasting is a topic that we've emphasized here at New Life over the past couple years. And if you're new to us or new to the whole idea of fasting, let me give you a quick definition of what fasting is. According to Dallas Willard in the book Spirit of the Disciplines, it says fasting is abstaining in some significant way from food and possibly from drink as well. Now, fasting, as he's defining is for spiritual purposes. This is not that 12 hours when you go without food or drink before you have a blood test or a colonoscopy. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, yeah, somebody said at the first service, I can't believe you worked colonoscopy into your message. Yes, I did. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um, fasting has been ignored by many American Christians as something that's only for those who are super committed I shared a message about a year ago in January in which I talked about and actually apologized for not making fasting a regular part of my own discipline or preaching and teaching about it over really all my years as a pastor at that time. Now, that's because the reason I apologize is because over the past couple of years, I've been shown that something that I really ought to have known about fasting all along Um, As a follower of Jesus, it's our take home point for today. And again, if you're new, the take home point is the one point I'm going to make from Scripture that we want to carry out and live out in our lives this week. And here it is. Fasting is a normal part. Normal is underlined. Normal part of every Jesus follower's life. In last year's message, which was in the middle of a series called If I Had a Do-Over, which was messages we preach, where if we could start over again, we would do something differently, I said this about fasting. I said, of all the messages I've ever preached, and I've preached a lot by this time, just in case you're wondering, this might be the most important from a daily life-changing perspective. And I said that because fasting is a spiritual discipline I've failed to practice and teach effectively over my 36-plus years as a pastor. That is until this last year. You and I can't go back 36 years or 36 minutes, for that matter, and change what we did or didn't do then. I can't fast every week for the past 10 years if I haven't already done that. But what you and I can do, and this is really key, is we can start today and we can practice whatever God calls us to practice to become more and more the people He created us to be before the foundation of the universe. New beginnings, this is so important, are a way of life for Jesus' followers. Now, it seems a little odd to quote yourself in a message, um, but the reason I did that is because it's a point that's worth repeating, and here it is. Fasting impacts who we are and how we experience God in our lives as much as any spiritual discipline that I've ever practiced in my life. I apologize to any of you, you who were here last year because I did not teach about fasting or really practice it, but I've made up for lost time over the past 26 months. In the past 26 months, I fast a day every week, a couple of individual weeks every year, including this past week, and I've done five 21-day fasts, and I'll talk to people and preach to people about fasting as often as they will listen. And the reason is because fasting has become that important to me, and it is becoming a normal part of our life together as New Life Christian Ministries. If our take-home point is true, if fasting is a normal part of every Jesus follower's life, that means that we need to practice it regularly. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. As with everything that we advocate here at New Life, it comes directly, directly from the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. If we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, right in the middle, in chapter 6, we find out that Jesus offered three disciplines his followers must practice, giving, praying, and fasting. And what Jesus said each time, he said, when? He said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say, if you give, or if you pray, or if you fast, but when? When? So let's read his instructions just about fasting today. But before we do that, pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share about this important spiritual discipline. And I pray as we turn to the very words of Jesus that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would open our lives to hear your word and not just hear them, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, put them into practice so that we can be closer to you so that we can draw deeper in our relationship with you and we can live lives that reflect the life of Jesus every single day. We pray this in his name, amen. So in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 16, we read these words of Jesus. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people would admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, Comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus commanded his followers that when we give, when we pray, when we fast, we're not supposed to be like the hypocrites. Well, who are the hypocrites? the religious leaders. And what Jesus did is he called them out for making a show of their giving, praying, and fasting. And he said, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to be like them. Now, some pastors say, because Jesus said we're not supposed to talk about giving, praying, and fasting, that's why they don't preach about it. No, that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say don't talk about giving, praying, and fasting. He said don't make a show of it. In fact, if we don't talk about giving, praying, and fasting, then how will anyone ever learn how, uh, that they are vital and normal aspects of living as Jesus' followers. But what Jesus doesn't want us to do is make a public show of it. He doesn't want us blowing a horn before we give something away to somebody who's poor. He doesn't want us to to make a, a big act out of it, because it isn't. It's something that we do from our heart, and we do it because we love God and want to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. So when it came to fasting, the hypocrites... The, the, mostly the Pharisees, but other religious leaders as well, fasted two days a week. And Jesus said when they did that, they um, looked miserable and disheveled. They would put ashes on their head, and some of them would even tear their clothing so that everybody would look at them and know that they were fasting. I mean, just imagine if we lived in those days, and here comes a guy with ashes on his head, his head, you know, clothes are torn, he just looked like grumpy and not very... You know, and so what do we do? We go, wow, man, he must be a really committed follower, right? Because, I mean, man, it must be fasting Friday. But, but that's not what Jesus wants us to do. In fact, what Jesus said is the day you're going to fast or the week you're going to fast or the month you're going to fast, get up every day. Get in front of that mirror, comb your hair, make it look good, no, no hairs out of place, you know. Put on some extra deodorant in case that, you know, chew some gum because your breath's going to smell bad after a couple days. Don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody know that you're fasting because that's not what it's about. In fact, what he said is when you do it the right way, that God is going to be excited about it. Now, here's the thing when it comes to fasting in particular. Giving, praying, people do that. But fasting, so few people have talked about fasting as a normal part of every Jesus follower's life here in America that most of us don't fast at all. And again, I want to take full responsibility for my part in that because I didn't preach and teach about it, didn't do it very often in the first decades of my ministry, but I want to underline how important it is and how vital it is to fast if we want to grow in our relationship with God. So, why is fasting so important? Here's the short answer. Fasting reminds us of our dependence on God. Fasting reminds us of our dependence on God. God. You know, it's easy to live most days as if we're in control of our lives. I mean, we have enough food, we have enough clothing, we have shelter, we have family, we have friends, we look around and we go, I don't really need God. I mean, look, my life's good and I work hard for that. I sacrifice for that. And we think it's about us. In fact, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, most of us probably go, what? I mean, I got lots of food in my refrigerator, my pantry, my freezer. And if I don't, I can always just go over to Sprinkles or Kelly's, or Subway, or someplace else, and I can get the food. You know, I, I don't really understand that. But that wasn't the way it was when Jesus very, uh, very spoke the words of the Lord's Prayer. The people who lived in Jesus' day, they got up in the morning, and they worked from sunup to sundown to grow the grain that they would eventually, you know, uh, mill into the flour that they would make their bread with. They would tend their sheep and their cattle. But that's not the way it is for us. I mean, most of us don't grow grain and mill it into flour, although I did get a text message this morning from somebody who said, I mill my own flour, but they don't grow their own grain. Uh, But anyway, the point is, most of us don't have sheep and cattle. A few of us do, but most of us don't. And when we fast, our bodies remind us very quickly of our need for food. Sure, we could go to the refrigerator or the pantry and get some food, but that's why it's called fasting. You realize if you don't have a refrigerator or you don't have a pantry and you're not eating, that's not fasting, that's starving. The difference between fasting and starving is you have food that you're not eating when you're fasting, you don't have food that you're not eating. When you're starving, there's a big difference. So if we think a little deeper, whenever we start to have those hunger pains about all the food we have, we realize, in fact, the Bible says this, that even the ability to work and to produce all those things is a gift from God. The very food that we eat, actually, God is the one who provides it every single day. If we never fast, we might never realize our great dependence on God. So... The end goal of fasting, and this is probably the, you know, the punchline here, the end goal of fasting is to draw nearer to God and to become more dependent on Him. Last week, Pastor Alex reminded us of something. We don't do these spiritual disciplines so God will love us. God loved us before we got out of bed this morning. I mean, I told the 8.30 people who, you know, they lost an hour of sleep and they were at the 8.30 service, God doesn't love you more because you came to church today. I mean, I, I love them more because they came to church today. But God doesn't love them more because God can't love us anymore or less. So we don't do the spiritual disciplines so that God will love us more. The purpose of every spiritual discipline is to draw us nearer and deeper in our relationship with God. As I said, it's so easy to think that we're in control of our lives. You know, the truth of the fact is we we don't have much control or not as much control as we think we do. Seven years ago, about this time... Nancy and I went out to dinner we went to a little place I don't think it's there anymore but it got replaced by another place over by Paul and Ann's bowling alley in Middlesex Township and after dinner we were going to come home and so we turned the car around we were pointing this way the road goes this way and this way north and south route eight it has you know four lanes of traffic and there's a middle turning lane and I was just waiting to pull out And as I was waiting to pull out, somebody came from the south driving about 50 miles an hour, the police estimate, came across all the lanes of traffic, and I call it a Y-bone, not a T-bone, because it wasn't a direct this way, but it was this way. And in that instant, our car was totaled. But thank God, Nancy and I sustained relatively minor injuries. The next morning, I drove over to the place where they had towed our car to get our personal effects out of the car, and the tow truck driver came out and he said, what happened to the passenger in your car? And I said, well, I'm going to the hospital and pick her up as soon as I get this stuff. And he goes, no, you're not. I said, what do you mean, no, I'm not? He said, I've never seen a passenger survive that kind of impact. Now, before that accident occurred, if you would ask me who was in control of that moment, I'd said, I am. I'm just waiting to pull out. Now I'm going to pull out, I'm going to drive north, I'm going to drive home, get out of my car, I'm going to have a nice evening with my wife, then I'm going to go to bed, sleep, get up the next day, and do the stuff I always do every day. But in the moment of that impact, I thought the same thing that the tow truck driver thought. I thought Nancy was dead. I looked over and the, you know, the cloud of the stuff that comes out of airbag, if you've ever been there, you'll never forget it because the smell and the, it's just, it's not a fun thing. I, she wasn't making any noise. And then she moaned. And I was actually grateful that she moaned because I at least knew that she was alive. Now, we had done nothing wrong. In fact, we hadn't done anything. We were just sitting there. That's all. And life is like that. You know, we live under the illusion that we're in control so much of the time. We, but, but we live in a fallen world. A fallen world, that means there's sin in this world. That things happen, bad things happen to innocent people. Now, there, we could go for another message another day. There are no such thing as innocent people. But you understand what I'm meaning. We weren't guilty that day. We weren't doing anything wrong. We were just sitting there and boom, literally. And that's what happens in life in a fallen world. Bad things happen. In fact, Jesus, the son of the living God, said this. The thief, that is the devil, comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But that wasn't the end of what Jesus said. He said, but I have come to give you life in all of its abundance. So here's the question. How do we live in an an abundant life in a fallen world where the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us? Well, we recognize that we're safest when we're closest to God. I'm going to put this in very simple, childlike terms. The safest place for a sheep to be When the wolf attacks, is between the shepherd's legs. We're sheep. The safest place for a sheep to be when the wolf, that is the devil, attacks, is between the shepherd's legs. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he did that literally. He literally laid down his life for you and me on the cross so that we can have life now and forever. In fact, when Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life, he wasn't talking about any old ordinary life. You see, the Greeks had several different words for life, and one of them, we're familiar with this word, bios, we get the word biology from it, it's just biological life. And that's not the kind of life Jesus was talking about. There's another kind of life, it's called zoe. And Jesus said, I came to give you zoe. That's the life of God. It's eternal life. You know, every one of us here today, eventually our biological life is going to be over. We're going to cease to exist, biologically speaking. But when that moment happens, we get to live forever if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our life. Because we have zoe. It already started. Jesus said when we're born again, we get a new life. It's the zoe life, the abundant life. So what does all that have to do with fasting? Quite a bit, as it turns out. Fasting and all the other spiritual disciplines remind us of what's important and what isn't. Of who's in control and who isn't. You see, we're not in control. The devil most certainly is not in control. God is in control. God is in control of everything. You see, when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we receive a new life, a spiritual life. For the rest of our lives, We get to live in that relationship with God until the one day when that relation becomes in all of its fullness when this biological life ends and we have the Zoe life of God. So this discipline series, in the series, the disciplines we're talking about, so far we've talked about serving, praying, and fasting, and yet to come is Sabbath worship and giving. They are not for spiritual giants. Please understand that. I'm not talking just to a few of you in the room. I'm talking to every single one of us because all of them are a normal part, a normal part of every Jesus follower's life. We can't control many things that will happen to us in our lives. What we can control is actually far less than we sometimes assume. But here's what we can control. We can control our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and our actions. The spiritual disciplines provide an environment For us to draw nearer to God and to be more dependent on Him. Jesus promised abundant lives here and now for the sheep who hear His voice and follow Him. So many have assumed that that abundant life is what? Fast cars, big houses, big bank accounts. That's what the abundant life means. In fact, some preachers will promise that to you if you accept Jesus, Savior and Lord in your life. But here's the thing that Jesus said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Um, be, be, a man's life does not consist, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, all too often we switch the price tags, don't we? We put the high price tags on stuff. And, and Jesus never did that. In fact, what Jesus says is, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will give you all the stuff. I mean, it's just a byproduct of that relationship that we have with him. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us in our lives as we follow Jesus. Now, I want to give you some practical words about fasting because you might be where I was when I decided to run a marathon, you know, only able to run an eighth of a mile. So here are, if you've never fasted before, maybe you've tried it, but you just said, no, it's not for me. Here are a few words about fasting. First of all, it is a spiritual discipline. The Holy Spirit is gonna guide us as we fast just as he guided Jesus. I don't know if you realize, but when Jesus was baptized, The Holy Spirit came down and God said, this is my son whom I love. I mean, I'm pleased with him. And then what happened? The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness or the desert for 40 days of fasting. So does that mean we have to feel called to fast? I've had people say, well, I've never felt called to fast. The truth of the matter is we don't have to feel called to do anything that Jesus commanded you know, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. I've had people say to me, God never told me to go. Oh, yes, he did. He said, all of y'all, you know, all of y'all. So all y'all go. Now he's saying all y'all fast. So when it does, what it does happen when God calls us to do something, it goes a lot better when we call in the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. So going without food, as I already said, for a day, week, 21 days, 40 days, without guidance from the Holy Spirit is just starving yourself. Fasting is not starving yourself. It is not a weight loss program. I know when you hear the word fast you might think of what people talk about today you know intermittent fasting. It's actually a good thing probably because it can help you lose weight and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talking about the biological benefits of fasting today. We're talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting which is a far different thing. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that we undertake in obedience to Jesus' command and in the Holy Spirit's power. So in my experience, which finally I have some experience that I can share with you, of five times of doing 21-day fast is, hmm, I'm just going to be very blunt and clear here. The first couple of days, they're no fun. The first day of a fast is usually... The worst day or the second worst day. And the second day is the worst day or the second worst day. Because if you're not used to fasting, especially if you give up caffeine and you usually use it, you're going to get a headache. You're going to feel tired. You're gonna, your brain's going to fog up a little bit. It's not going to be any kind of fun. But now in my experience, and I have some experience, after day three or day four, it starts to feel better. Your hunger pangs go away a bit. And you start to draw closer to God. And this is the key. Over time, you draw closer and closer to God. And uh, the thing that's interesting is the first time I did this 21-day fast, we had uh, five of us at home. All three of our foster daughters were at home and Nancy. So at dinner time, we would sit down and they would all be eating and I'd be sitting there with my glass of water. And they would be feeling what? Guilty. Because they were eating and I wasn't. And I said, hey, go ahead and eat. I really enjoy watching you eat. And i like, know no, you don't. I'm like, yes, I do. I really do. And, and, and now that I've done it a number of times, one of the, my favorite things to do when I'm fasting is to sit with other people who are eating because I get to see the joy that they have as they're eating, and I get to realize God provided that. It's a blessing. So anyway, next, if fasting is going to be a normal part, remember we said it's a normal part of every Christian's life, then you might be asking, so when do I fast? Well, that's a very good question. And there's no special day to fast. You could fast on Monday or Tuesday. You could probably fast on any day that ends with Y. Okay? Any of those days would be a good day to fast. Just choose one. Then, and, 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 you know, the, the thing is, we ought to fast in obedience to Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. There's two times when we should fast in obedience to Jesus Christ, and that's the day, you know, of the week that we choose, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it is, and we say, I'm going to fast on that day. And if you've never fasted before, run an eighth of a mile. What do I mean by that? Well, skip breakfast, just one meal, and then the next week, skip breakfast, and the next week, skip breakfast, and the next week, if you're ready for the next half a mile, then, you know, skip breakfast and lunch. It's training, it's discipline, it takes time. So after a while, you add another day. It's harder to fast a meal or two. I'm I'm gonna tell you, having now some experience, that day is gonna be a hard day. If you fast for two meals, you're gonna be hungry by dinner time. You really are, and you might have a headache, especially if you gave up caffeine for the day and you never give up caffeine. So it's not gonna be the best day of your life in your mind, but the reality is, It will be a good day if when the headache comes, you just pray and say, God, I'm here. I'm with you. You know, you have anything to say to me. And eventually you'll get into this practice of instead of thinking about being hungry, instead of thinking about the headache, you'll be leaning into God. And you'll be more and more focused on that relationship with him. And so then finally you'll get to the point and say, I'm going to do a whole day. Now, if you're going to do a whole day, this is my, my suggestion. Eat your dinner, whatever day it is. And then the next day, don't eat breakfast, don't eat lunch, and then eat dinner. Because that's 24 hours. That's a whole day. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, Chris, that was only two meals, not three, you're starting to be like a Pharisee there. That's a little legalistic, don't you think? All right. If you really want to do three meals, though, you could do eat your dinner, then don't eat breakfast, don't eat lunch, don't eat dinner, and then next morning, break your fast, which is why it's called breakfast. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Break fast. Breakfast. Right? So here's the thing. How long are you going to fast? Well... At the beginning, maybe a meal. After that, maybe a day. After that, maybe two. Maybe God calls you to the five-day fast. Maybe he calls you to the 21-day fast. Now, here's the question only Americans ask. What if I fail? What if I fail? Because Americans are the only ones who are so performance-oriented that if I say I'm going to fast for two meals and I only make it through one, I go, oh, I'm a failure. No, you're a beginner. Nothing wrong with being a beginner when you're a beginner. Okay? Just remember that. You can't fail at these spiritual disciplines because you're not doing them to earn God's favor. I'm not doing them to earn God's favor. We're doing them to draw closer to God. So you can't really fail when you're doing something to draw closer to God. Just remember that. Now, I've found a couple of resources that are very, very helpful when it comes to to fasting. The first one is uh, on the internet. You can just go there. If you want to remember it, you could take a picture of the slide that's up there. It's a guide to prayer and fasting by Pastor Dave Patterson. It's t h uh, fa- t f h the Father's Heart, I think it's called, dot .org slash resources. And then God's Chosen Fast is a book by Arthur Wallace. It was written back in the 1960s. It's an incredible book because it tells you the spiritual benefits and the spiritual reasons for fasting. And then in the back of the book, he actually tells you what to expect physically when you're fasting. So, remember this. Jesus told us, when we fast, don't be like hypocrites. Let's focus on the word when. It means we're going to fast sometime. When we fast, we are going to do things to glorify God, to draw close to Him. And if you really have been convinced by this message, it's something that you want to do, then here's a the next step for you as we move into the rest of 2022. I will make fasting a normal part of my life this year. So I skipped over one point that might be important for some of you. I know some of you are really detailed people, ISTJs and the Myers-Briggs thing. And you're like, well, what do I not eat when I'm fasting? Well, that's up to you. You're fasting, not me, right? So maybe you don't eat anything. You just have, well, nothing, not even water. If you're doing that for a half a day, you can do that. You don't want to do that for a long time unless God directs you. Um, just, you just water, that's one kind of fast. Or maybe you just fast from meat. You don't eat meat when you fast. Or maybe you do a Daniel fast. There are all kinds of ways to fast, and, and there are a lot of resources about that out there in the world. If you look up Daniel fast, I guarantee you, there's even uh, there's recipe books about Daniel fast, so you can, I guess, so that while you're fasting in a Daniel way, you can still have tasty food. I think that defeats the point of fasting, but nevertheless, there's all kinds of resources out there. But if you're going to make it a normal part of your life, remember why you're doing it. I want you to to leave here today remembering, why am I going to fast? To draw closer to Jesus. To draw deeper in my relationship with Him. And the way we do that is by putting it on our calendar, by doing it. We prepare for it, we plan for it, we practice it. And the key isn't how often or how much or what you do or don't eat. The key is simply this. It becomes a regular part of drawing closer to Jesus. If you accomplish that, you will accomplish everything that Jesus meant when he said, When you fast. Amen? All right. Six of you agree with me. I'm glad for that. Okay. So, um, ordinarily, here at New Life, the messages that we preach um, are intended to do two things. And one of them is to help people who don't know Jesus. To come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And Savior means rescuer from sin and death. Lord actually. I, I always say it means owner or master. But this week I was reminded of something. When I was preaching to Pakistan. And that is Lord means God. In the Old Testament. Whenever you see the word Lord. It's a substitute for the word God. Because they were so. Um, you know they they are, were so respectful. Of God that they wouldn't say his name. So they just put in Lord. So Jesus is not just master or owner, but, but actually God. And so we usually talk about that in our messages. Today I talked more about how we live after Jesus already is Savior and Lord in our lives. But we want you to have an opportunity if you've, never, if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord in your life to do that today. Here at New Life we say that doing that, trusting Jesus, Savior and Lord, is simple. But it's not easy. That's as simple as A-B-C. A means admit Admit that you're a sinner, that you stand guilty before God, that you've done things you're ashamed of in your life, that you're afraid of what might happen if you have to stand in front of God today. Then B is believe. Believe that Jesus is God, that he is God's only son who came from heaven to earth and who lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose from the dead and right now is sitting at the right hand of God and that he sends his spirit to all who believe in him and who received that Zoe new life. Believe in Jesus. And then see, confess Jesus, Savior and Lord, to those around you, and commit your life to living in the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in each and every one of us who believe and trust Him as Savior and Lord.
1: The reason why we practice these spiritual disciplines is because we have a God who loves us and desires to have a relationship with us. And that's what causes us to want to pray, to give, to fast. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, today is the day. You can pray this with me or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that Jesus came to this earth and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again on the third day, just like he said he would. And I confess, I confess that I am a sinner and I confess that I need a savior and that Jesus is my Lord and savior. And I commit to follow him with the power of the Holy Spirit every day for the rest of my life. And I will try my best to grow in relationship with you. And I will try to pray, to give, to fast, because these are things I want to do to grow closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.